Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with me, Tim Sylvie, and Tom OF1, who's standing in for Harry Benjamin while he's out on commentary duties. This is the place where we meet a figure from the world of motorsport and dive into their lives and careers, often uncovering truths you never knew existed. We've sat down with Formula One drivers, team principals, touring car stars, Le Mans and IndyCar winners, famous broadcasters, content creators, and pioneers, all to make sure that you get behind the visor and hear from the world's biggest and most interesting names. If there's anyone with a story to tell, they usually tell it right here. Check us out at motormouth.club, download our app, check out our regular Motormouth kart race where you can race alongside the stars and support our partners at Movember and the Brain Tumor Charity. And don't forget, please subscribe to our show, leave a review, it really makes a difference. Find us on all the major podcast channels. In the meantime, sit back, relax, and enjoy the chat. Hello, my name's Tim Sylvie, and today we're joined by a British racing driver treading the boards in the most iconic tin top category in the country in the form of the British Touring Car Championship. Now then, Tom, let's challenge your motorsport brain once again. Are you ready? Oh, goody. This is going to be, uh, <laughs> it's going to be tin top related. Now, I know you're an F1 man, but you know, you've got a well-rounded knowledge. Yeah, I mean, BTCC back in the, you know, Matt Neal, Jason Plato, that go. was where I kind of cut my teeth. So let's okay. go. All right. So can you name at least five of the current British touring car racetracks? Current? Oh, okay. Current. Um, okay. So Brands, Hatch, Thruxton, Donington, Snetterton, all the tons. And... Ooh. ooh. Um, the ones that roll off the tongue. What else? Uh, oh God! There's one really How obvious one. Oh, okay. You kind of helped me there, Silverstone. Surely. Silverstone, yeah. And then we have Alton Park, Croft, Knock Hill, um, Brands Hatch. You could have got two for because it's Brand Hatch, um, Indy, and then the Grand. Uh, the Brands that would have been Hatch. cheating. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have felt proud of myself no. if I did. No, uh, finesse that one too. Good, good effort, though. Once again, impressing me with your your most important knowledge. I have oh, to say, if the shoe was on the other foot and you were asking me these questions every week, I'd be I'd get zero. So you're doing, <laughs> you're doing a lot better than me. Um, right? Should we bring in today's guest? Yeah, let's do it. So today we're joined by British female racing star Jade Edwards, driver of the BTC Racing Machine in the British Touring Car Championship. Jade has reached the top of British racing via Renault Clio Cup, British GTs and Ginettas. We're here to talk about her life career, thoughts and opinions. Jade, a very warm welcome to the Motormouth Podcast. Just before we get into that, bear with me for two minutes. I must tell you about our new sponsors of the show, and it's one that means a great deal to us all on a very personal level here at the Motormouth Podcast. In 2021, Dana, the founder of Motus One, passed away suddenly and without warning whilst visiting family in the States. Dana was one of my very best friends. The legacy he left with his family and his business is incredible, and I'm hugely humbled and proud to have his booming business as part of this show. Sponsors are vital for our survival and make sure we continue to bring you interviews with the biggest names in racing. So if you or your company needs event transportation, look no further than the team at Motus One. They have you covered anywhere in the world, from a single chauffeur-driven sedan to a fleet of luxury SUVs, Teslas, or motor coaches. Find your transportation solution with Motus One. They've got offices worldwide, including the Middle East, Europe, and Africa, and will support your transportation needs regardless of location. Motus One is committed to world-class service at the very best rates to ensure your event goes off without a hitch. Contact them at motusone.com. We'll put all their social links in the podcast description. A massive, massive thanks to Dana, his wife, Claudia, his kids, the rest of the Motus One team. Thank you for having faith in our show and joining us for season 12. Right, back to it. On with the show. Thank you very much. Very good to be here. Where are you joining us from? I always like to look in the background um, and it's not giving too much away. Oh, that's that's a cool radiator. That's a very cool radiator. Yeah, it is. I'm actually in the kitchen of my uh, home. So yes, my very own radiator. <laughs> you are so lucky. Your very own radiator. <laughs> Check you out. Now, um, Jade, you're, you're a, uh, I think I'm right in saying, a third generation racing driver following in the wake of your father, um, and British race, British Touring Car um, Championship race winner, Jim Edwards Jr. and your grandfather, 
um, who was Jim Edwards Sr. So needless to say, motorsport has been a part of your life from a very young age. Is it literally all you remember? Uh, yeah, so I actually was born within a season that my dad won the championship. So um, he actually left a racetrack to go and watch me be born, thumbs up to me mum, went back to the racetrack, <laughs> carried on racing. So it's a bit of a crazy story. And I was <laughs> no way. at the round. So two weeks later, I was at the at the next round. So, yeah, it's been uh, motorsport since literally since the day I was born. How did your how did your uh, mum feel about that? To be honest, she's an absolute trooper. And I think things were different a bit back then. She actually drove herself home um, when I was born, which I don't think they really, yeah, they really do anymore. No. Um, but she was in and out the same day. Dad was like, well done, Anne. Great, great effort. I'm off to go race wherever he was at the time. Um, and she just got on with it. She was a trooper. And like I say, two weeks later, I was, I was there with them. Wow. Well, I mean, fair play to your mum. That's impressive. And um, a fair play to your dad for having the balls to do that. That would have been, <laughs> that would have been divorce material for me. I can guarantee it. Now, um, did, did you go down the karting route? I couldn't see any, any documentation about the karting. It sort of seemed to start in Ginetta's around 2006. Did, did you skip that part of things? Yeah. So when I was sort of karting age, my dad and granddad were still competing uh, within the Toka paddock at a fairly high level. So we did have a go-kart because my sister also um, competed um, when she was younger as well. And we had a go-kart, we shared it, but we never really competed with it. It was more just, you know, when we had a weekend free, we'd load it in the van and we'd go and have a fun day out. But no, I never raced karts at all. I went straight into Janetta Juniors, as you've seen in 2006. So in, in some ways, my motorsport world is, is all, you know, all inclusive and, and since I was born, but I actually skipped a major part of it, which most drivers do. So when your uh, when your dad was racing, um, would was it kind of a family affair? Would you go to every single race, um, or was it there a bit more of separation there? Because I, I can imagine like growing up in the paddock, like you must have met a lot of people and got a lot of. Uh, the, the, I mean, there's nothing like the smell of Brands Hatch, and getting that early doors must have been pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I it became home from home. So, like I say, ever since I was young, I was at the circuits and. Um, it became part of our lifestyle. My mum, although never raced, is fully involved in in the motorsport side of things. She would be to come team mum. She would do the food. She would look after everyone. And I'd basically get let out the the motorhome door on a on a Friday evening and just be like, come back on on Sunday at some point or when you're hungry. And I basically grew up in a race paddock, and there's still people to this day that will say to me, "Oh, I remember you when you were this big or whatever." And I've no idea who they are, but they. <laughs> since I was little sort of growing up in those race paddocks and you make friends in the paddock and it becomes, you know, when, when you're a, a weekend away from school, it was quite often my friends would just go to the local park or wherever and just hang out. Whereas I was always off around the country following my dad and my granddad racing. So it was almost like a mini circus in that, that sense, but it taught me so much, you know, I was able at such a young age to socialize with older people the same age people men women you know everyone it taught me so much you know as part of life which was really good uh, motorsports obviously a very competitive place did did your did your family want you to go and be a racing driver because we've spoken to other drivers in the past who who couldn't think of anything worse you know it's, it costs a fortune you know you, you have to hemorrhage cash to get anywhere in the sport whether you've got money or not did did they ever go look jay just just go and study law or something or was was there another option uh from the outset they knew law was not on the cards because <laughs> I'm just for that sort of thing but no to be honest my parents are very much my friends more than anything and it was it was right we're going racing and this is their life and nothing was ever pushed on to me it was more whatever makes you feel happy so I'm very sporty. I played netball. I played football, um, all sorts of things. Um, but motorsport was always ever the only thing I was ever going to do. It, it was never a doubt. Same with my sister. She's 80 months older than me. And ever since we were younger, it was always, I want to be a racing driver. I want to be a racing driver. And they never questioned it. Um, they never sugarcoated it either. It was very much known that it was going to be hard and um, we'd have to work a lot because we have no family money. So I always knew it was going to be tough. Um, but I grew up in a, in a competitive environment. My sister, um, like I said, is a little bit older than me. And we used to do running races around the garden or whatever. And if I lost, then I lost. There was no head start for the 18-month younger sibling. Um, 
and I had to work for it. And I think that kind of environment is what's able to to enable me to survive in this industry. And were you always, um, from when you started as a kid in kind of carts, the cart that you'd share, were you always really good or do you remember kind of having stages where you maybe weren't so good and then you had a breakout year where you kind of did really well or was it just a consistent level of of like a good standard that you you felt like you were setting? So me and my sister are always, or have always been and still are very, very competitive. So with the karting stuff, because we weren't competing as such, it was always against each other. Um, and so it was hard to tell really how we would have got on in the karting world because we never really got exposed to it. And then junior racing in Janetta Juniors, again, was very tough because we hadn't had that experience that some other drivers had. We went into that level of motorsport very green. So um, we would see little flourishes of of races where we could see a natural talent. Um, But it was very hard because we we were competing against people that have done junior rallycross or junior autograss and things like that. So we were naturally a little bit further back, but not necessarily bad at driving, if that that makes sense. But what I think stood out to us both was my dad raced in 2000. He won the Clio Cup Championship, which is a, a renowned tough year because the car was so lethal and it was on a knife edge. And if you ever watched the races back, there was no kind of oversteer and get away with it. It was oversteer and massive, massive incident. And we had a car that we tested and both me and my sister were bang on the money, you know, on the same pace as my dad. Um, and that kind of showed to us at that point that there was a level of, you know, ability there that would see us being able to compete at the top um, in the future. Now, let's fast forward a bit. 2014, you won the Aston Martin GT4 Challenge outright. What was that moment like? Was that a bit of a breakthrough moment for you where you thought, right, this is it? And then obviously you went on to become Aston Martin Young Driver in 2015. But did, was that a sort of pivotal moment in your career where you thought, yes, I, I can actually do something with this? Yeah, I think for me... Again, I, I was teamed up with my, my sister in that particular race at Donington where we, we won. So it was two sisters actually beat two brothers, which was the Griffin brothers. And obviously, Liam Griffin used to race in touring cars and it was quite a cool story. But my sister had been out of racing then for two or three seasons. So to bring her back in and to have a win with my dad as the team manager on the radio to us was, as a family, a huge moment. But for me individually, it was the year that, that got me out of that sort of club racing and put me into the British GT paddock. Obviously I had my sights set on, on touring cars since I was a young age, but because of lack of money, you have to kind of go with where the tide takes you. And it took me in a GT route um, at that point with Aston Martin and, you know, winning in a car that's, you know, a proper GT car and, and doing it with your family around you was, was brilliant. And like you said, it, it led on to different avenues and, and a status with Aston Martin, which only looked good on a CV, you know. So, yeah, I do think that was a, an era of, of which I thought, right, OK, we're actually making, making some legway here and, and getting to where we need to be. Do you remember when you first jumped in the Aston? Like, was it a big difference of experience compared to what you'd driven previously? Yeah, so prior to that, and actually the same season, I was racing in the Mazda MX-5 Mark I Championship, which I have nothing bad to say about that championship. It taught me so much. It's cost-effective. You know, a front wing is 20 quid from your local um, scrapyard. You know, a car's five grand, and in, in motorsport terms, that is is cheap. And, you know, I remember being on the grid in, in Mazda's, and I was second uh, at Silverstone, second on the grid, and it was 40 cars that filled the grid. I remember looking in my mirror thinking, I can't even see the back of this grid. It's, it's made. <laughs> wow. so it was an amazing championship to kind of learn. Um, but the first time I drove the Aston was at Alton Park and it was a one-off race. Um, they threw me in with a, a driver that um, I didn't know at the time. I'm, I'm, I'm friends with now, but I didn't know them back then. And it, it was funny because, because I was a club racer and I was still very young and I was very new to it all. I was told, take it easy, build up, don't rush. There's no pressure. And when I ended up putting it, I think, on pole by about two seconds, everyone kind of went, wow. And I just remember this feeling of going from a manual gearbox, road tyres, very much a road car that's been adapted to, to a race car, to going into this you know, V8 Vantage GT4 and it having proper brakes and proper power. And it was just, I'll never forget it. It was unbelievable. And I remember just being able to rag this car and drive it how I wanted to drive it and it keeping up and it was it was brilliant I'll, I'll like I say I'll never forget that that moment where everyone was telling me to 
take it easy, just build up. And then I went, boom, straight away on pole position. It was a, it was a good feeling. That's amazing. And, and then in 2017, you, you mentioned the Clio Cup. You went into Renault Clio Cup and stayed there until uh, the championship stopped in 2019. How do you look back on, on those times? I guess, again, it's a bit of a, uh, using it for, for learning and, and honing your craft before the next step. Yeah, I have complete mixed emotions of that era of my career. Um, obviously, initially getting on the Toka Paddock, racing Cleos after my dad had done so a few years before was amazing. Absolutely loved it. It is one of the toughest championships out there because it's one make. Um, everything's so close. And I would be lying if I said that I felt like I didn't achieve quite what I wanted to in that time. Um ever podium that was so close at Thruxton um where I think I was running third or fourth and an incident ahead of me meant I had to drop onto the grass and miss out and I'll, I'll admit I was emotional after that one because I got so close to just wanting a podium and just proving that I can compete at that level and it never quite came however those that are in the same bubble and know the story could see the the pace within the story of 2017 to 2019 it was just we were you know, unlucky along the way in some areas. I had a, a, a moment where I had a massive role live on TV. I had a sponsorship scam that took me out of 15 grand's worth of money and all yes. sorts of things that went on. So as a whole, a positive thought, but it's kind of tainted with a few, you know, just areas of which I, I it was it was tough at the time. Yeah, because obviously that Clio Cup, like you say, 40 cars, um, well, like there's so many different people involved did you encounter many drivers um, within that championship that that kind of because, like you say, with with budgetary stuff, there's so many things outside of just raw talent that can hold you back as a racing driver. Like, what was the the field in in Clio Cup kind of comprised of? Was it everyone? You know, was everyone taking it serious to the same level? Were there some people who you think could have driven at a much higher level if they didn't have the budget, like et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. So Clio's is. Um... There was a lot more money around than, than maybe sort of I had and a couple of other drivers had. There was a big difference between that sort of front of the grid and the back of the grid um, financially, for sure. I was someone that created this nine for nine uh, system where I got nine sponsors to put in £9,000 and they paid in £1,000 installments. So it gave me £81,000, which is great and enough to get me on the Clio package, but it wasn't the optimum budget needed for that, that race season. It was about 120. So I was instantly short already. And it made a difference in, in damage. That is basically the where you notice it, damage and tyres. The guys with a bit more budget could throw tyres at it in testing, throw tyres uh, in qualifying or whatever it is. And I, I couldn't. And I also had to drive knowing I couldn't afford to damage the car. And that's where the difference is. And mm. it's not necessarily that the drivers, one driver's better than the other. It might just be more seat time. It might be more budget. It might be the confidence knowing that you can <laughs> roll this car into a ball of snot and you'll get handed a new one in two yeah. weeks. Yeah. <laughs> more to um, lose. Yeah. It's, it's the same in so many series though, isn't it? I mean, I, I worked with a guy called Struan Moore uh, in, uh, what did he race in? Blancpain. And yeah. he, he was racing with a McLaren customer team, um, Garage 59. And he had the same issue. At that level, he, he knew that if he crashed the car, there was insurance premiums, there was parts yeah. to pay for, uh, tires. You know, it, it was a constant thing that held him back, um, as it must do for many drivers. However, <coughs> it didn't hold you back. And you did take that step up with Powermax, uh, the Vauxhall Astra. You did it at the home of British Racing at Silverstone for your British touring car debut the first female to contest a British touring car round since 2007, which is a shocking statistic in itself. Take, take us through the emotions of that day. Yeah, so that all came about really randomly, actually. So in 2020, it was obviously, you think, COVID year of motorsport. And I sat out um, and I was meant to be doing a Ginetta Super Cup I was trying to do at the time. And then COVID kind of struck and I just sort of decided, look, no one's got any money. We don't know what's happening. We'll just sit out. And there was obviously this seat available for, for Powermax. And initially I got asked to start the year and the budget was just too much. I couldn't, I couldn't afford it. Um, and then as the year went on, it became a little bit more in reach. And it was a one-off situation where I just kind of rang around my sponsors and said, this is what I've been presented with. Is anyone interested? And they all went, yep, yep, yep. So that got me 
you know, going. And then I still had to find more money. But as soon as I announced that drive for that one weekend, it went mental. And I actually preempted that a little bit. And I took a day off work and I sat at home and it got announced at 9am. And I think I got off my laptop or my phone at about 9pm that night. Um, to which all my friends had come around the house. They were drinking beer and all sorts and celebrating the announcement and I was still doing interviews and things. So it then meant I got additional sponsorship from that day onwards and I could compete with full insurance and full um, reassurance in my driving that, like I say, if I damaged it, it was all covered. Um, And I treated it exactly how it was meant to be. It was a one-off. And I thought I may never race in touring cars ever again. And this could be my one chance. So there was an element of wanting to do very well and the best I could but there was also an element of remembering it and taking it all in so I did a a vlog video about it I got a new suit made I did it all properly Um, I hired an RV that I'd never done before and you know it was it was one of those weekends I drove the car and I felt comfortable straight away Powermax did an amazing job and I didn't do too badly you know it's a competitive circuit it's you know a mile long it was crazy in lap times but I had races throughout battles throughout I enjoyed it I had one of my good friends Tom Onslow Carl would come back for a couple of races and we were sharing the same circuit and overall had I never done any more touring cars after that point I'd have been happy it was a really really good weekend that's incredible that your your sponsors as well were prepared to kind of support you and back you because I, I think that's something we've gleaned from this conversation straight away is that you know sponsors are everything especially in in the kind of um more kind of open levels of motorsport and I just think like how do you how were you prepared for that side of it because from the outside looking in you just see names and oh how quick they are but there's so much that goes on behind the scenes I imagine obviously being yeah having so much experience in your family with motorsport were they really able to help you when it came to like how do you reach out to sponsors how do you kind of sell yourself to them because that's a totally different skill right yeah so obviously with my family being involved in motorsport and me working in it for such a long, for such a young age, I basically put myself in a, a Clio team working. It was actually Pyro Motorsport who took me on and I was a tyre scraper and I'd put the awning up and I'd drive the quad and the trolleys and do the pit stops and all that sort of stuff. And I thought, if I can't race, I need to be in the paddock that I want to be racing in. And I built up a profile. Um, and then when I announced my Clio drive, it wasn't a new name that come into the paddock. I'd networked for probably 10 years prior to that. Um, and that's where I think the difference was. And yeah, my dad used to think of ways of cold calling companies and let's take the race car outside of a business and just wait there and try and speak to the manager and this, that, the other. And But for me, the changing factor, the, you know, the thing that stood out for me was social media. That is basically where I've got 95% of my sponsorship is through my own social media and the way to word things and the way to use things and, and, and promote people and also invest in a, a, um, a personality. So essentially, you, I try and create days for sponsors where they leave having the best day ever, regardless of what results I get on track. And if you can create a great day for people, they want to come back. Yeah. Um, the difference with me is I had no family money. So it was either find sponsorship or just don't go racing. There was no backup. Um, and I just learnt my own way. I've never had any media training. I've never had a manager. I've never, it's been a one man band with the help of like my dad and, you know, the family around me that just chip in here and there. But essentially it's, it's a one man, one man band or one woman band. And I've just kept plugging along. And every time I've been knocked down, I get back up. And that's another thing where I found, you know, drivers that may be a bit better than me just don't have the determination to stick it out and they get hit down a couple of times and they think, you know what, I'm off. I'm going to go find something else. And I'm the one that just keeps going relentlessly trying and found myself, you know, exactly where I wanted to be. It's funny. It's, it's, it's a good case study in sponsorship because uh, sponsorship's my day job. And I get phone calls a lot from mums and dads who have young kids in Ginettas or carts or uh, have gone into the first rung of single seaters. And they're all running out of money and they all want to know how to do it. And, and there is obviously certain things you need to do. You know, you need to have you know, your, your, your classic glossy presentation with your photos and your statistics, but you need to go over and above that and make yourself stand out from the crowd. 
And fundamentally, you need to work really hard at it. And it's amazing how many people aren't prepared to put in that work. And if you don't put in that work, it's simply not going to happen. And I've said to so many mums, look, if you want to get sponsorship, you've got to be prepared to put in five days a week, seven days a week, cold calling, doing the rounds of local businesses. Um, and they just, they don't do it. They don't have the drive and, they, and they'll never get there, unfortunately. So fair play to you for sticking at it. I, I know firsthand how difficult it is. A very quick interruption to remind you to check out our sponsors, Motus One, the event transportation company. Motus One is the industry leader in complex transport management from hospitality, talent, production crews, VIPs, and artist transport. Motus One's team have got you covered. They've also launched their leading edge cloud-based event transportation management system called Motus Ride. Now you can manage your entire event transport program digitally. Make bookings, allocate rides, create approval processes, see reports, track costs, loads more. Head over to motusone.com and hear how they can support your event transportation needs. Back to the show. Now, we, we touched on a statistic there about um, females in the British Touring Car Championship. There's, there's no other females on the grid right now, is there? No. no. So, so when you started in, in it, 2007 was the last time. I don't know who it was, but 2007 was the last time someone was in there. Um, it was Fiona. It was who? Fiona Leggett. Fiona Leggett. You know okay, I'll Google her. Um, yeah. And what, why is this? Like, I mean, we, it's been well publicised about things like W Series and, and there's this new campaign, More Than Equal, which David Coulthard and Kate Bevan are behind to try and find a female Formula One race winner and world champion. Um, but what, why in British touring cars is that statistic there? Why do you think we're not seeing more females in, in that particular form of racing? I think the starting point is there's just less of us um, and that's changing now. I can see it, the grassroots level, um, the organisations that are happening, the, you know, the, the projects that are happening with schools and young females or whatever. In five, ten years time, that storyline will be very different. There'll be females racing, engineering, everything, a lot more than there is now. Re regarding touring cars, I think, you know, if you're a youngster, your first port of call is generally F1 because that is the top, top level. I think I'm slightly different in the sense that I grew up in the Toka paddock with touring cars. So for me, I never even looked at F1. It was never anything I wanted to do. So that's why my focus was always put on touring cars. So maybe that's the reason I made it to, to the level I wanted to be because I never got distracted almost by spending 10, 15 years trying to get a single seat to drive, spending all your money and never getting any further. But it's a numbers game. You know, if you look at the Toka paddock now, out of the whole paddock, I think I can think of four of us, maybe four. There's me in touring cars and then I think there's three in Janetta Juniors. Um, prior to that, we had Abby Pulling in F4. Prior to that, Sarah Moore and Janetta Juniors back in the day, Alice Powell, Jamie Chow. We've all been through that paddock. Um, but there's just one or two of us at each time. So, you know, every time you get 20 lads join a grid full of racing, there's only one female at most. Um, so it was always going to take a little bit longer. That, aside from the fact that it's blooming expensive, you know, you might have yeah. 10 females, but none of them's got any budget, you know, and that's, it's just a numbers game, unfortunately. And also, obviously, you know, W Series has been such, uh, definitely, <sighs> from a, one of the most high-profile series, for sure, in terms of the focus on females. Um, what do you kind of... Because, again, I, I yeah, personally, I've spoken to Jamie a little bit about it, and um, Tatiana, who's um, been in IndyCar, and, and I know there's a few different kind of opinions on, on W Series and whether it is... Because you know, uh, as far as I'm concerned, as someone looking in, I think, you know, seeing those um, female names and those female faces on TV, I think that's... That, that that offers such an inspiration to, to young girls watching. But what's your personal kind of take on, on that series, I guess, specifically? Do you think that's the way forward? So I've always kept the same opinion from start to finish um, overall. And that is that I don't like the segregation. I don't like that we've removed females from the mainstream motorsport and put them into their own race. And the reason for that is, is you know, Jamie's won uh, multiple times. But the first comment that is always made is yes but how would she get on in such and such championship and I don't like that I I personally preferred the route of um they're back in the day there used to be a, a, a organization called racing steps foundation where they would take a selection of drivers fund them and put them in the best cars of the best championships and make sure that they were doing the best they could 
I would have preferred taking a selection of females and added them into mainstream motorsport, but with the best of the best. Um, however, having said that, I have friends that were not racing, that had nothing. They had no opportunity to go racing, had no money. And W Series has given them three or more seasons of competition, travel around the world, platforms, profile, that kind of thing. So in that aspect, I'm all for it. They're promoting female in motorsport. Um, and I love that side of it. And they've actually grown massively as a brand, you know, compared to that first race that they did to now. It's huge. Do I still like the segregation? No, I don't. Absolutely not. Um, but there's aspects of it that I understand is helping helping that way that people are seeing women in this sport. Yeah, it's, it's so complicated because I've spoken to loads of people about W Series, drivers within it and drivers outside of it and and people who are on the fringes of it like kate bevan who's who's working with coultard on the more than equal campaign her her comment that stuck with me was uh and she didn't she didn't call out w series as, as the wrong thing but she did say um they we need to make motorsport equally difficult for the girls than it is for the boys yeah and that, and that was quite interesting because then you think well at the moment, it's not. It's a. It's much harder for the girls than it is for the boys. If we can make it equally as difficult, and that doesn't mean segregation. That just means giving them a. Uh, yeah. You know. A, I think a, a equal footing. Um, something that stood out to me was someone said that um, equality is separate isn't separate. Separate separation is still not equality. Yeah. You know, in that sense that yes, they're on an F one weekend, but they're racing against fellow females now to be controversial if they created an, a male-only championship and no females would al be allowed, there'd be uproar. Yeah. And that, for me, isn't equality. You know, it should be, there's the race series, there's the budget, we're going to promote females in, in motorsport, but in motorsport that proves we can compete with the best. And I'm not saying compete with the men, compete with the best, whoever that may be. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a funny one, because you look at Jamie and, you know, her, her going back into the championship was not a good thing, whichever way you look at it. Um, yeah. th then you look at the quality of the field and and the top runners are good drivers, but then you go further back and I've spoken to drivers, I won't name them, who are in the sport, who are in the W Series, who have said, sometimes you really hold your breath and hope that that driver doesn't just pile into you because they don't have the race craft. They're not good enough. Um, so it's a, it's a really difficult one, but hopefully, you know, it's all part of the process of increasing female participation. There's lots of F1 teams that have got their, their female driver programs and hopefully that'll push people through. And we're seeing more and more engineers and people in the formula one paddock who, who are female. So hopefully it, it'll all um, come good in five or 10 years, like you say. So let's see. Um, now, uh, let's talk more about British touring cars. Um, you picked up your first points. Congratulations. It's all heading in a positive direction. How are things going this year and, and what does the future hold? This year has been a tricky year in some aspects. I obviously got, like you say, first points. I've won the Jack Sears uh, at Alton Park. So I got, you know, spray some champagne, got a trophy. Um, that was a real positive. Basically, Jack Sears is, is the top rookie of the weekend. It's accumulated over the three races of the day. And each weekend there is a Jack Sears winner and I was Alton Park's one. So we've had some really good moments and really positive um, times. However, you know, it's no it's no secret that BTC uh, as a whole, uh, both me and my teammates have struggled with some straight line speed this year. Um, the chassis we have from BTC Racing, the boys and girls have created an amazing car. Um, but we're just struggling with with some straight line speed that's going on. And we've worked our socks off to try and rectify that. You know, we've got Josh Cook, who's my teammate. He was fighting for the championship. Um, and we went to Knock Hill and he absolutely drove his socks off in qualifying and it could only get 14th. So, you know, if he, that's season eight for him and season four in that car is only getting 14th, then me season two and a very much a rookie still, you know, it means I'm, I'm further down. Um, what they don't always see is that 24th or 22nd is still only seven tenths off pole position. And that's how competitive this, the series is. And as much as it's soul destroying in that sense, when you get a positive race, a positive lap time, um, a positive result, it is the biggest high that I've ever felt um, because it's so hard all the time. It's so competitive. Um, that Jack Sears win, I think I smiled for two weeks afterwards. It was just a really, really cool uh, situation to be in. But yeah, we've we've had some struggles on track with pace, but 
we're hoping that that's behind us now. And we're, like I say, we've been working really hard to, to rectify it. And we've got two weekends left that should suit our car. And we're hoping to, to go out with a big grin. How did uh, jumping into that Civic feel um, at first? Did it, you know, obviously front drive, did it feel anything like the Clio um, you'd driven in the past? Or was that a whole new experience that you had to kind of learn? I never enjoyed driving that Clio, ever. Didn't suit me. Didn't uh, You know, I'm one of those drivers that wants to brake as late as possible to grab the car by its, you know, grab hold of it and just drive it around. But the Clio was a little bit road car-esque. And actually, you had to be super smooth and real forgiving. And it just didn't suit how my driving style was. And the, the moment that stood out to me for that was at Croft and it was in the test day on the Friday and I'm driving my hardest and I'm just getting slower and slower. And my dad said, go out there and draw and, and break, I know, two car lengths earlier than you want to or you feel you can. And I did it and I set my fastest lap and I thought this is just not natural to me. So actually, when I jumped in that touring car, as much as it was daunting because I'd never driven anything like that before, I was at home with it instantly more than I ever was in that Clio. It suits me. You know, there's there's grip. Um, there's the the handling of car of the car. Like I said, BTC put a great chassis together and it just makes sense to me. So um I actually every time I drive out in FP1, I think to myself, I really bloody love this car. It's just the championship so competitive that if you don't find that final tenth, half a tenth, two tenths, then you are, you know, mid to to nearer back of the, the grid. But it it no doubt makes you a better driver along the way. Yeah, no, it's a, it's it's a it's such a cool series. Are we going to see you there long term, or is it just too difficult to say? Um, no plans as, as such as yet. For me personally, I have no reason to leave the team I'm with. I don't want to leave the team I'm with. Um, I love you know my crew that I've got on my car. I love the team in as a whole. Like I say, the car's brilliant as a as a chassis. I am not looking elsewhere, um, but it is a money game. It's got to be beneficial for the team. It's got to be beneficial for me, for my sponsors. So, of course, deals will be presented um, and chatted about. But as it stands, the future is unknown. Um, and as much as I would love to stay, I will also bow out knowing that I never thought I'd quite make it to this level purely because of the money. So to have two full seasons is, um, is more than I could have ever thought of. So I'm going to fight to stay. But if I don't, I can definitely tick a box and go, do you know what? It, it's happened and I'm happy with how it went. And I can I can sit at home peacefully, not not feeling like I've missed out. So if there's any... And obviously, I know... Sorry, go on, Tom. I, I was going to say, I know it wasn't obviously part of your, you know, growing up, you always looked up at, um, at the Toka paddock. But have you had any single-seater experience at all? Not a, not a single bit. I have not even... I, I don't even think I'd fit my ass in a single-seater, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Um, but same if, yeah if someone said there's a there's an f3 car or a w series car or whatever and there's an empty track then without doubt i'd have a go but no i've never never had any single seater experience whatsoever oh, is it not is it not a little bit tempting you know like you know abby abby, abby abby's gone across she's, she's they're too flimsy tim they just yeah. you touch I, anything and they just explode i'd rip the four wheels off that thing by turn three <laughs> i'm too used to using touring car s moves yeah um like I said, if, if it was there and it was presented to me and it was just not a no-pressure environment, go and have a laugh, absolutely, I'd go and have a go. But would I change my trajectory to go single-seaters? No, not at the moment. Or your driving style. You'd just be there, just crashing yeah. into everyone, bashing them, exactly. bashing them on the side. No, like, well, Carton's got that rubber bar around the edge. I just need <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Spe special <laughs> treatment. Now, uh, yeah. you, you work a lot in Formula One. You've got a, you've got a role with Formula One. Um, presumably, you follow the series as well. Do you think it's a done deal for Max? Is it is it in the bag already? I mean, nothing's ever in the bag. There's still a good chunk of races um, to go. And we've seen, you know, with Ferrari and Charles, that it can go wrong very quickly. But if they stay on the on the route that they're on, then yeah. I mean, Max is driving amazingly. The team aren't putting a foot wrong. Um, that he's so chilled, you know, there's no, there's no stress within that situation. So, you know, like I say, nothing's ever confirmed and nothing's ever certain, but yes, I think, uh, I think that's the likelihood is that he'll get his second world championship. If you had to pick a driver out of the 20 that you think you're most alike, maybe in terms of driving style or maybe in terms of character, is there anyone you look at and think, yeah, I'll, I'll vibe with you? You know what I mean? <laughs> 
I've never been asked that question. It's a very good question. That's a great actually. question. Well, I'm here. That's a great <laughs> question. I um, I don't know. I don't know if there's one person. I'd maybe be a hybrid of a couple. Um, obviously the Danny Ricks personality and Lando. I love. I absolutely love that they are professional and very good on track. But when they step away from the track, they know just how to enjoy the moment and not to take it too seriously. And that's a little bit like me. Like I love to mess around. When I'm in the data room and I'm doing my my data analysis, I'm the most serious you'll ever see me. But as soon as I step out, I want to laugh because to me, life is about laughing. And I think they have an aspect of that. Um, I do love the Alonso kind of fir- first lap aggression. I love a good first lap. I think sometimes I've said if I could do a race weekend where it's just 10 lap ones in a row and they just regrid us up and go again, I'd love that because I love the adrenaline of, of first lap and overtaking and finding the space and stuff like that. So not not particularly one driver, but maybe a hybrid of a couple. Have you uh, have you got any hidden talents? Is there anything you're really good at outside of racing? I can ride a unicycle. No, you can't. Yeah, I can. Maybe. I mean, I've not done it for a while, so maybe I can't anymore. But randomly for one Christmas, I asked for a unicycle and I practiced up and down the kitchen worktop holding on whilst mum was cooking the Christmas dinner. Um, had a few shunts on it, bruised coccyx, that sort of thing. But yeah, it, I can ride a unicycle, which is a bit unique. I can just picture, like, as a kid, just riding around the paddock. That's what you were doing all, all yeah. weekend. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know what made me want a unicycle. I can't even remember why I asked for, for one for Christmas. But, yeah, I, I, I did. I got one. And, yeah, I used to just ride it around the house and up and down the paddock and all sorts of things. We had one of those. Uh, we had our karting event the other day, and there was, there was someone from McMurtry riding on, on a, uh, I don't know what you call it. Like, it's like a Segway, but it didn't have the handles. Yeah. It was yes, just a single it. wheel. He's flying around the track on that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He almost ran me over. Did he? Mm. <laughs> in, um, in lockdown, I actually lived with Abby Eaton, Jess Hawkins, that lot. What a random household. But <sighs> we got the unicycle back out and we were trying to teach people. It's blooming dangerous, those yeah. things. You don't realise. When I was a kid learning, it was a lot less scary than getting back on it, you know, as, a, as an adult. Um, and, and what are you... What are you um, that's your skill. What about... The other way, what are you maybe not so good at? What would you say you're crap at? I I am just, the way I describe my life, right? So, you know, when you go bowling, you put the sides up and you use the sides to just ricochet to get to your end goal. That's basically me. I just bump off things through life to get to where I need to be. So it's probably my organisation. Um, I'm, I'm just a whirlwind. I mean, I went away, probably shouldn't admit this, but I went away for the F1 that's just happened. I came home. And I'd left the back door open the oh, whole time. I do stuff like that. Five days. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just a bit of a liability like that, really. Yeah. Uh, so I, let's I, bring I do it the same. I, uh, I, the amount of times I've parked in a car park and left my car door open is is insane. And I, I lose. I leave my bag. I could leave my bag in the middle of the M25, my work bag. I leave it everywhere. Yeah. Um, so I'm when t- I was younger, I used to lose my bank card all the time. And I'm pretty sure the branch that I was in or lived near were like, yeah, Jade, yeah, another card, no problem, yeah. send it to you. Yeah. Just you. Yeah, no, I feel you. I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you. Um, now, Jade, we've kept you for long enough. We have three more questions for you, which we ask all of our guests. Although I have thrown in a cheeky different one, Tommy. I don't know whether you've noticed, but um, these final three are brought to us by our friends and podcast sponsors at Motus One. Um, yeah. Uh, right, I will kick off this week. Uh, Jade, what's got you excited at this very moment, sporting or otherwise? I fly to Monza tomorrow for the next F1 event. And you might think that I'm about to say that the F1, but it's not. It's the food. That's what's exciting me right now. Flying to Italy and eating pizza and pasta. Very good. Very good. Do you like, do you like airplane do you... food? I like all food, if I'm honest. I don't really care what, where it's coming from, where it's been. I just I like food. <laughs> yeah, I mean, airplane food's got better in recent. Is there a particular dish in Monza? Like, have you been there before to the track? Do you know where yeah. you're going to go? Um, no, I don't know any particular, I've not been there enough to know restaurants and this, that, the other, but I, I just know that in basically in the F1 paddock, there's always something free that they give out. So say the weekend just gone, there was the shrimp waffles mm. that were free and they cooked them on site. When you were in Bahrain, they did the, the wraps, the kebab wrap things, um, the shawarmas. So I'm just hoping there's some sort of pizza or pasta stand that I can just go and sit next to and eat. It always... Always tastes better when it's free as well. Um, 
The second question, um, what's your favourite race circuit? Not necessarily just to race on, it could be for any reason. Um, so UK-based is always ever Thruxton, love it. Um, fast flowing, I've worked there a lot. The team that are at Thruxton are amazing. So just as a whole, that whole track is brilliant. Um, I've got a special little place in my heart for Barcelona, Catalonia. First time I ever did a, a 24-hour race was there. And we actually led, led the class uh, and were, I don't know, top 10 overall until 22 hours in. And an AM driver got in and blew the engine up. Ah. And it was just gutting because I was about to get my first ever, well, first ever 24 and the first ever win of a 24. Um, however, I did the stint where the sun came up and I just remember driving in the lead of our class and not bad overall and just thinking, this is cool. This is really, really nice. So that's got a special place in my heart. And then probably favourite track to just enjoy driving, cliche as it sounds, is Spa. You know, it's got something for everyone there. The Eau Rouge area, um, fast flowing corners, tight twisty ones. I did a C1 24-hour race there. And I tell you what, a C1 wow. is a dream around Spa. Um, yeah. Takes about three days to do a lap. But <laughs> uh, yeah, I've driven McLarens there. I've driven C1s there. And I enjoy it in every car I've driven because it's it's just a circuit that is is brilliant. No, solid, solid choices. Uh, our final question for you, uh, unless Tomo has any any random uh, ones he wants to fire in. Um, Jade, what are you scared of? Spiders. Oh, well, fully scared, terrified? I mean, if it's a spindly one, as I call them, you know, like the little body and the real okay. thin legs, and it just stays still, golden. You can stay there, no problem. You know the ones you always get in your bedroom that are just in the corner? Mm. And they stay there for about three weeks. They're I've fine. got one up there now. Have you? Exactly. It's just chilling. <laughs> as long as they stay still. But it's it's spider season at the moment in the UK, isn't it? And the big things come out. And mm -hmm. no, just just no. I will freak out. It's, not many things get me to go all shrieky. And But yeah, spider, do not. And what's funny is my mum's scared of spiders. But she was brave with my sister and 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 treated her in a way in which she's now not scared. She was fake brave to my mm. sister, but she'd lost all. Clever. She couldn't do it. Clever, <laughs> clever. No composure. Mm. Yeah. You know, you lost. know, we swallow spiders in our sleep. But that's if I don't know about it, fine. But I'm not sure that that's true because has anyone woken up with like a leg sticking out their mouth? Yeah, like, obviously. You, you can't see. That, I don't know if that's a true fact because somewhere someone's woken up with half a spider sticking out their mouth. Yeah. I once woke up with um, a scorpion's tail in my bed on holiday. That was freaky. What, just yeah. the tail? Just the tail. I, don't, I must have eaten the other half. I don't, I don't know where it went. It just, <laughs> it just wasn't there I, anymore. So, I don't like daddy long legs either. No. And the reason for that is because they don't, they don't know where they're flying. You know, a fly will go, I'm going over there. Bing, straight away. A daddy long legs does this. Normally ends up in your face. It's just... I just there's no need for them just yeah. don't like them yeah my, my little I've got a little sausage dog and he's got no chill like he, he'll see a yeah. spider and he's just straight on it with his little ears pointing down yeah. at it I'm like bruv you're so brave man I wouldn't do that <laughs> yeah oh, oh, good spider chat everyone well mm. well done us um, Jade thank you so much for joining us it's been an absolute pleasure good luck with um, the final few rounds of the season I'm sure you'll absolutely smash it um, best of luck for your future. I'm sure we'll see you in a paddock soon and hopefully at the next karting race, we'll keep you posted about that. It's going to be in May next year. For now, thank you ever so much for joining us on the Motormouth Podcast. Thank you very much, guys. It's been a pleasure. A few moments later. We're back because we forgot to ask Jade our listener questions. We put a tweet out asking for people to send in some questions. So we've got, we've got a couple here. Um, there's a couple of quite amusing ones, but there's a good one from um, someone called Danny Cotton who has a lot of followers and... Interesting to see what they do. Anyway, she says, Danny says, um, as someone who worked in a very male-dominated environment, I'd love to know what extra edge do you think you bring as a woman and how does it feel being a fantastic role model to the future generation of female drivers? Um, I think my thing that enables me to survive is a very dark sense of humour. Um, my teammates will both stick up for me with this. Um, obviously, you're around males. This general... Humour is different male to female, and I'm the one that is trying to outdo them both with how horrific I can make jokes or, you know, foul mouths or whatever. So I think that is one aspect. As much as 
there needs to be an element of the industry allowing and accepting females in. I think there's an element of the females having to somewhat fit in and adapt to what motorsport is. And I think if you can do that, you'll survive just fine. Very good. Um, there's one classic here from uh, Stu underscore Arter Art Aviation. Stu underscore Art Aviation. What's your favourite service station? Um, what's it called? Right. So in lockdown, I did um, nighttime van delivery driving and it was basically called a flyer. So, you know, when you order something for next day delivery, a flyer is someone that drives stuff up in a van because it's quicker. So I was doing, um, where was I doing? Rugby to Scotland and back from 9pm up 15 hour shift, basically. And there was a service station that has the lake on it. And I can't remember its name. And it's, it's only on one side. What's it called? Anyway, it's got a lake and I used to go there for like sunrise and it was amazing. It's on the M6. Uh, is it T-Bay? No, it's not T-Bay. Anyway. Send in your answers, like... listeners. Send in your answers. What's yeah. your favourite, Tim? Uh, I, the only one I ever remember is South Mims. And it's, yeah. not, it's not that far from me. And it's got, okay. you know, it's got decent facilities. I wouldn't say it's the best on the motorway system in the UK, but it's, you know, I enjoy it. It's up there. You know, I, I'm a fan of fleet. Fleet services, good service. I have well, that been caught fire, didn't it? Mm. One of them. So I used to go to uni in Bournemouth, so that used to be the the road from London yeah. down. There's yeah. nothing better than a good service station with good selection of food and all sorts of stuff. And if you've got three kids like me, um, the excuse to go and charge my electric car at the service station and sit there in Starbucks for an hour or two. It's the absolute dream. I'm sure people can relate. Um, well, well, we'll call it there, Jade. Uh, apologies to those that sent in questions that we didn't get through, but we've, we've kept Jade long enough for the second time today. Jade, thank you so much for joining us on the Motormouth podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks, everyone, for listening to the podcast. Before you leave us, one final reminder to check out the guys and girls at Motors One, your new transportation solution for minor, mega, and signature events anywhere in the world. Motus One simplifies the complex process of event transportation and provides clients with unrivaled service and support to ensure your event transportation needs are fulfilled. Check them out today at motusone.com and if you tell them you found them through the Motormouth podcast, you'll get up to 20% off your first booking. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too. So make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumours quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review. And until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.